Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. If you don't like the way that the jobs are set up in your house, burn that down. Burn it down. Start it Amen, all over. Sister. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I censored myself right there. I want everybody to know. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 199. Today we're talking about Is Motherhood Broken with Brandy Ferner. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Thank you so much for being here. I am so glad to be in your ears and connecting with you today. It rocks. Yes. Yay. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation too and join me at the table as I talk to Brandy Ferner. She's a mother of two, an author, a blogger. She's host of the Adult Conversation podcast and she has a novel, Adult Conversation, coming out in May. But what I'm excited for you to hear and talk about with Brandy is this whole idea like, you know, do you ever feel that you work all day as a mom, but no one ever sees what you do. 
so Brandy, she took a picture that went viral of a mom separated from the rest of her party at the restaurant. And I want you to listen as we talk about this, how, how no one in this mom's party stepped out to let her enjoy being a part of the group. And we're going to talk about motherhood today. And and I want you to listen for a few takeaways I had and how, how as a society, we're not supporting moms, how as moms, we have a hard time asking for help and then others don't see that we need it. And finally, why we really need to question the relentless unseen tasks of motherhood. So this is going to be a powerful conversation. I know you're going to love it. Brandy's got a great dose of humility and snark, and I like her a lot. Um, and before we dive in, I just want to let you thank you, who everyone who has been supporting Raising Good Humans as it's been coming out and launching. You may have heard me on other podcasts because I've been doing so much talking about it. It's really exciting. If you want to hear more about the Raising Good Humans book, um, check out our episode just I think it's 197 about raising good humans in which Carla interviews me. And so thank you so, so much to anyone who has left an Amazon review. This is such a powerful, powerful way and so, so vital. We are trying to get as many reviews as possible, hopefully at least over 50 reviews. I'd love to have 100 reviews. So if you have bought the book, please, 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 please leave an Amazon review. It makes us such a huge difference as that's the, like, the major source of where most people buy it. So even if you bought it somewhere else, I think you can leave an Amazon review. So please, please do that. And if you haven't bought the book, what, buy it before the end of the year because I have some special launch bonuses that are available at RaisingGoodHumansBook.com where you're going to get my nine powerful masterclass interviews from Raising Good Humans Live. And it is only available there. So I hope you'll get the book and then go over to RaisingGoodHumansBook.com and get those bonuses, but before the end of the year, okay? So don't wait. And then when you leave that Amazon review, we're actually going to do a contest. You as you can just enter by leaving a review on Amazon, and we're going to do a contest to gift one of those reviewers a free spot in my spring retreat. So cool. So please, please support the book by doing that. That's all at RaisingGoodHumansBook.com. And then just one more thing before we dive in, I do, can't let you let you go before telling you about my coaching programs. They are going fast. Um, I'm opening up just a few spots in both one-on-one -on -one coaching and group coaching before the end of the year. The, both of these programs start in January. So go to mindfulmamamentor.com to learn more about the programs. It is a powerful way to transform your experience of being a mother to finally get yourself to walk the talk, get the support, the tools, the accountability that you need to truly make the changes. So this is the highest level of working with me. You get to be my VIP in my life. Um, and so if you want to learn more, about what it's all about, and to see what others' experiences has have been, go to mindfulmamamentor.com and check it out under the coaching tab. All right, on to this episode. 
Brandy, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm going to try to do you a solid and not be explicit so you can get your non-explicit <laughs> rating. I'm going to try my best, people. I just had to be honest right from the get-go. This is going to be a challenge for me, but I'm going to do it for you. This I is think. the main goal of the entire conversation, <laughs> just to not get an explicit rating. But um, I asked you on, and I was you were talking about that, and I was, I, I was thinking about what, one, one thing I was struck by about by you is that um, – you know, a lot of people go into parenting and, or go into, you know, it happens, whatever, however it happens. <laughs> and, um, and it's incredibly hard as it is for all of us. And we feel like our lives are turned upside down and everything's a mess extraordinarily. And a lot of women, uh, a lot of parents, especially women, then blame themselves for feeling that way and then say, what is wrong with me that this is feeling like such a mess and that this is so frustrating and that I'm struggling so much. And kind of what I saw from you and what you're doing is that you were in that place and you didn't turn and point the finger at yourself. And you instead, you had the wherewithal to say like, what the heck is going on in this world? And why is there not enough support and all of these things that parenting is is so hard for everyone, right? And I, I, anyway, I just noticed that about you and I really am struck by that and I just want to acknowledge you for that because good hmm. for you for not turning the blame on yourself. Oh, thank you. I mean, it was after years of doing that that I then finally realized, wait a minute, I don't think this is just me. So there were years of me wondering, what is wrong with me? My, my whole, if I could sum up my motherhood journey in a sentence, it would be, is motherhood broken or am I? That has been the thing that I have been striving to figure out. And I actually wrote a novel with that as the whole thread. It's a darkly comedic novel that comes out next year. And that's the whole thing, which is, I don't think it's supposed to feel like this. And so there were years, you know, in that beginning, those triage years where you're just trying to get through the day where you can't even articulate what you feel because you don't even know what you feel yet because it's all new. So it took me years to finally realize, wait a minute. This, this systematically is not set up to be easy. It's set up to be harder than it needs to be. And that's when I started realizing it's not just me. I'm a loving, <laughs> kind person who's also flawed, of course. But I, 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 I don't think it's that I wasn't meant to be a mom or that I'm doing something wrong. I think something is doing us wrong is part of it. Yeah. And you took a photo that went viral, it seems like. So yeah. I'd love for you to tell us about the photo of the unseen work of motherhood. And I guess it's been seen like over 40,000 times and shared 40,000 times around Facebook. But tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I was out to lunch with a friend and we had no kids with us. So we had the leisurely time of like a three hour lunch. This is one of my favorite people. So we're just chatting. And as I look over, we were there for for hours. And so I noticed there's this party of this family. You can tell it's a birthday. There's some balloons. And I noticed that there's this mom with a baby probably around like, you know, six months or something like that. And she's completely separate from the table. So the party's happening. Everybody's laughing, having drinks. And she's over on the side and the baby is batting a balloon near the wall. She's on this other chair. And I watched that mom do that 
for about two hours of segregating herself from the group, bouncing the baby. You know, I mean, we've all been there going around looking at the art on the wall with a baby, just trying to keep the baby happy. And she would walk around the table sometimes and some of the people at the table would uh, like touch the baby's leg or point at it, you know, or tickle it. Oh, it's so cute. But nobody was offering to take the baby or to have the mom be at the party actually. And I think I also noticed she had a stroller with her. And when she ate, she put the baby in the stroller, which I have no problem. I'm not a stroller shamer at all. So I have no problem. Uh, it's, no I mean, stroller shaming here. I mean, I didn't know that that was a thing until I became a mom and I became an attachment parent, which I. Oh, it's like an attachment parenting thing. Uh, stroller shame. Yes. Uh. It's like, why aren't you wearing the baby? And it's like, oh, so yeah, I'm not one of those people. But I did notice that she put the baby in the stroller. And I was thinking, where are the other people here? So I'm chatting with my friend, but this is all kind of going on in front of me. And I noticed that it happened for like two and a half hours. So the visual of it struck me because you see this entire ecosystem happening, this family celebration, and you see this mom separate from it, keeping a baby happy. And nobody offered to take the baby for her. That whole time I saw nobody go up to her. Nobody even noticed. I'm like, I think I'm the only person that noticed. And that struck me as the visual of what that feels like. And so I just snapped a picture. I mean, when things go viral, how they go go viral, I have no idea the formula to this, nor do I try to do these things. But I took the picture and I wrote up a little thing about bringing moms back to the table. Because that is exactly what I'm talking about, about the unseen work of motherhood, but also about the systems and privileges in place that nobody will reach out to help this mom or to help this baby to get that mom back to the table. So I get enraged when people talk about self-care, not every time because there is a really valuable component to self-care, but the same people that are telling us to self-care are those people that sit at the table that do not offer to help. And so in that moment, I saw all of that happening, took a picture, blurted out so that nobody could tell who was who, and then posted my little thing on my adult conversation Facebook page. And from there, it went sort of crazy. And I said something in it, you know, please share this far and wide so that the people at the table will see this in their feed, not the actual specific those people, but people, quote unquote, Mm, at the table. mm -hmm. And they will know uh, whether it's grandmas or husbands or aunts, uh, you know, friends who will know to bring us moms back to the table, help us because we, for so many reasons, but we have a hard time asking for help sometimes. And then also people don't notice. So I woke up, I think maybe two mornings later and Good Morning America had called me. Oh my God. <laughs> and said, we, we saw this come by and it was so powerful. We were all really moved by it. You know, we'd love to interview you about this or whatever. So it definitely struck a nerve. And since then it's been on, I wrote a piece for it, I think on Romper and I've seen it on a bunch of other news outlets. So apparently it struck a nerve. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It is really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's a sword fight. 
And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, as you describe it, it's like, and I've seen, you know, we'll uh, post a link to it in the landing page for the show, but, you know, it's this blurry picture and yeah, mom's just sitting off in the side of the restaurant and there's this whole table having a good time. And, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, we could say maybe mom wanted to be there. Maybe mom is like super controlling and doesn't want anyone to touch her baby, but you're right. Like chances are in that, you know, mom might've wanted to just sit and eat and be part of things. Like I know if it were me, in that situation, I'd be like, here's your turn for the baby, honey, <laughs> whatever, yes. you know? Um, but yes, the internet, the internet definitely had their opinion about, well, what if this mom was a working mom and all week she hadn't seen the baby? And what if no, the baby wouldn't go to anybody? You know, all of these devil's advocate things. And sure, in some cases that may have been valid, but we all know from being in that position, there are times when that is not at play. And I can't imagine somebody for two hours or people said, maybe she has social anxiety. I mean, we've all used our baby as a way to get away from talking to people that we don't want to talk to. So that could have, you know, there was a part of me that was like, maybe her family sucks and maybe this is what she's doing. But I, I could just tell she had that, I don't want to say that deadened look, but she just had that sort of like slumped over, like, well, I guess I'm doing this for the next two hours. And I also think with a baby that young, again, you don't know yet that 
you're frustrated about that. You don't exactly know why, because something a lot of times goes on in our head, like, but I'm mom. So I'm supposed to be with the baby and the baby depends on me. And you don't know yet that like you're saying that you can ask for help. You can say to your partner, your turn. And these things that some of us figure out earlier than others. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, or, you know, oftentimes we kind of drunk the social, the uh, cultural Kool-Aid enough, you know, that sort of cult of motherhood stuff enough that, we, you know, there's guilt if we feel, I mean, the, the whole guilt factor, guilt of even feeling like I want to break, you know, uh, we yes. feel, we feel guilty if we want to break at all, or, or if we don't want to be with our, our child at all, to even say something like that out loud is shocking, you know, yeah. and, and, and who knows who, who knows who was at that table too. Is there a yeah. mother-in-law or a mother there who's kind of judgy and wonders what kind of job this woman's doing? So she's like, well, I'm certainly not going to look like I need a break. I'm going to just man up and <laughs> woman up actually, <laughs> and go over and be with my baby the whole time. And I'm not going to complain about it. We have no idea the family dynamics going on, but we do know that usually they're complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that unseen work of, of motherhood. Do you, I mean, I keep feeling like I need to like write these down when I see them in the New York times, but do you have any of those, um, you know, the, the research that talks about how much more women are doing in, in a marriage versus what, what men are, are doing in a marriage or uh, in parenting still to this day? Yes. So just this morning, Mm. I read an article in the New York Times by a woman, and I don't know her name, but her book sounds amazing. I think it's called All the Rage. Mm. Um, And she said something to the effect of, yeah, we're doing a little bit better in terms of sharing the workload of parenting between the different genders. Uh, But but at the rate we're going, it's going to be 75 more years until we get to being a 50-50 split. (laughs) <laughs> and that was depressing. But I, and so I read that article and it was very validating. But when you're talking about the unseen work of motherhood, even to come up with what those things are is so hard to think of all the little details. And I was reading an article two days ago and a woman was talking about fridge management. And <laughs> just even that term, I was that's another thing. Like, I don't know about you, but by default, I'm the person that cleans out the fridge. And that's a whole that's like a whole job. And it's something that just goes under the radar for people whose job that isn't. And I don't know how I got that job. Like I didn't apply for it. <laughs> we didn't we didn't do a skills test. But I I am the person who does that. And so there's these little things that sometimes come up and I go, that's a whole job that I didn't even realize I had. So fridge management is one I was thinking about before this interview today. I wrote down a little list. I was just off the top of my head, like, what are some of these unseen things? And, you know, I'm thinking about all the fridge maintenance, of course, birthday invites, getting the present, the thank you note, volunteering at school, getting the permission slip signed, registering for recitals, um, touring preschools, Valentine's Day. Oh, but then it's your mom's birthday. Then it's your mother-in-law's birthday. Now it's Mother's Day. 
all of these things, Easter, I guess what it's Easter now, you know, I mean, all of these things that you almost can't put words to because they happen so quickly and so relentlessly that there's no way to sort of sum them all up. So when I get a word like fridge maintenance, I hold on to that because <laughs> that is one of the jobs that you can then explain to somebody, what, it, what is it that you do all day or what are some of the unseen tasks of motherhood? And that was just a new one that had come that I had thought about the other day. It happened to be the day after I did fridge maintenance, which is like an hour thing sometimes. Oh yeah. I mean, fridge maintenance, if not done regularly, I I, I don't even want to. So this summer we're doing like a, we're doing a home exchange with a, a family and I don't know, oh, depending wow. on when this airs, we, you may, this may be either before or after this, but uh, yeah, we're doing a, a home exchange with a family from France. And so for four weeks, we're going to live in their house and for four weeks, they're going to live in our house. And so wow. it's just like super exciting. We're ex- very excited, but we're like, now we're kind of looking at all these sort of things. <laughs> My husband finally, he like recocked the shower because it <laughs> years of like a slightly embarrassing kind of shower situation that- you We know, have the same shower situation happening. Same- you are not alone. <laughs> but like now I'm like, oh, my freezer. They are going to see what is happening in my freezer. I'm this going is, to have to take care of it. It's probably good for our family to have to take care of all of these things. Man, that is scary thinking about another family coming in and just judging the heck out of your entire, <laughs> every corner of your house. Yeah, you are a brave person, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And my cats too. They're going to be like, where did my humans go? And what humans are you? They're oh my gosh, you're getting things. replaced in their eyes. I know, like yeah. all of a sudden there'll be four new humans there. Very <laughs> strange. But um, but yeah, this is, and so you, were you a stay-at-home mom for your kids? And was this something that you were thrown into personally, like kind of being the manager and CEO of everything, all on the unacknowledged things? Yeah. Um, yes. And I thought it would, I thought I would love it. And not to say that there aren't parts of it that I really love and that my personality is well suited for, but I thought it looked easy enough on the outside and I wasn't looking at, I mean, you just don't know until you get into it, how constant it is. When you see it from the outside, you, you think that there's built in breaks or you just think that you, you will be who you are in your childless life, but with a child sometimes. And the reality is, is no, there will be a child all the time. And many of the times that child will be crying or needing things or asking you for snacks. So those parts I didn't really realize would be part of it. So I made the choice to stay at home with my kids before I had the kids and looking, see, this is where I'm always torn in two worlds. I'm torn in this world of attachment parenting, although there's a lot of things about that that I think lead to postpartum depression and actually mom's having a really hard time mm-hmm. because it's it's attachment parenting is rarely about the mom's needs. And so I I just I hesitate to even to even say that I still subscribe to that. But there's pieces of it the idea behind it is is lovely. And so I I some of the things that I chose to do made it so that I wasn't able to take breaks. So the relentlessness of it I felt then I didn't expect to feel that way. It sounds like you really needed some of those breaks and you wanted some of those breaks. Yes, absolutely. And I didn't know that they weren't built in. So with the attachment parenting kind of parenting, there are none of those breaks. You are a human pacifier. You sleep with your baby. You're nursing on demand. So some of those things were were really 
suffocating for me and I didn't know it at the time. Parts of it I really loved. I'm 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 one of those people that the beginning stages of life, like newborn to eight or nine months, I love that. And then after that, it gets kind of hectic when the baby is moving and you're having to to handle all of those sorts of things. But I come from this side that's that is thoughtful and attachment parenting-ish. And then I have this other side of me that rages against all of those things. So I'm a little bit of like an oxymoron <laughs> in, a, in a way. But what I didn't realize until years later is my personality was probably better suited to be a part-time working or working parent. Mm-hmm. But my ideals for what I wanted for my children aligned more with being a stay-at-home parent. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I was doing a job that I knew I wanted to do in the core of it, but the actual day-to-day showing up and doing it, mm-hmm. I, I had a hard time with. So that was kind of shocking shocking to me. And like I said, I for years, I didn't have a way to articulate it. I didn't know why I was feeling resentment. Why, when I watched my husband go back to his old life before we had kids, basically, why I felt this inner resentment that I didn't know what to do with. And it wasn't until my son was about four years old that I finally realized and sat down and had a conversation with my husband and said, I, you don't deserve this, but I'm mad. And I'm mad that your life went back to the way it was before, mostly. And mine has been completely turned upside down. And there's so many beautiful things that come from this life and moments that I've had that my husband hasn't had that you can only have when you are the sole nourishment for a human being and the bond that that is, whether that's breast or bottle, but the person being there all of the time. So it's not to say that there weren't things that I gained that he lost, but man, that, I think swallowing that was one of the hardest things, you know, to, in today's world as women being progressive and independent, you know, you're both kind of going at the same pace. My husband and I, we went to, we met in college. We went to college together. We had careers after that. He went to grad school. And so then I was picking up some of the slack financially and then I went to school and then he picked up some of the slack. So it's like, we're, we're constant, we're this great team. And so the world kind of tells you, yeah, modern woman, you and your partner, you guys are on the same track. You can both have the same life. And so that's what I believed. And then when I had kids, it was like, all of a sudden this curtain dropped And it was like, oh, no, 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 we were just kidding about you, the woman. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And so I see my husband, his life really not change and him still moving up in the world. And I felt like I was moving back in the world. Like now my, my whole being is to make it so that my husband and my children can go out in the world and do what they want to do. And no longer did I have my own identity and my own life. So yeah, I was, I have been a stay at home mom, but somewhere in there, I've, I have little jobs, little businesses, little creative endeavors that I've done. So I've been kind of a gig on the side kind of mom for Mm -hmm. much of my journey. And so that has its own challenges, which is when you're a gig on the side mom, you don't have childcare as if you are a working mom, but sometimes you are working 20 hours a week, 10 hours a week, whatever it is. So and you have this thing in your head going, well, if I was bringing in X amount of money, that would justify getting childcare, but I'm not bringing in that money. So I'm going to just try to juggle it all. So, so there's this, this, there's this irony that I talk about that is in order. Okay. Let me think it's, it's like so convoluted. 
but for me, it's so true. It's if I don't do something that I'm passionate about, and if I'm not pursuing something that's meaningful to me, whether that's a job or an artistic passion, I will go crazy. Yeah. But with children, as a stay-at-home mom, in order to do that thing, I will also go crazy. What it <laughs> takes for me to set up to make that possible will, will drive me crazy. So sometimes it's hard to feel like you're not in a box of crazy that you can't get out of. Either way, either way, it's going to do you in. It's just which way. Mm. I, that, that feels very suffocating to me. And I want to say, you know, <laughs> I hate to say it, but the way out of that, one of the ways is privilege. One of the ways is financial, mm. is being able to hire a babysitter. And when I started being able to hire a babysitter for things, guess what? Life got a lot easier. Having adequate childcare is, is amazing. And it's something that not everybody is able to have. So then people have to get creative with swapping and all of those things. But again, that, that requires that then you take on somebody else's children. So again, it's not, it's, you're still paying for it. There's a cost to everything with motherhood that I didn't know existed. Yeah. Yeah. And an incredible, an incredible lack of support. I know. I mean, I often say like, you know, I encourage my clients and to like get, childcare, you know, by whatever way you can, even if you have to be creative about it. But the truth is like, it, if I wouldn't want to take on two more three-year-olds, if I had a three-year-old, like, uh-uh, sorry. Um, but sometimes I think that, yeah, sometimes like we, when we're also, when, if we're, we're in mentally in that stuck place and we're like, kind of like, oh my gosh, there's no way out of this. Then, you know, then we, it's hard to have the to kind of think, think creatively about it. We are, we are very lucky. We have, um, I found, and I just want to share this cause like, you never know this could yeah. be near you, dear listener. Um, <laughs> we, we had a homeschool family, a homeschooling family near me and the daughter, one of the daughters, they're like five or six of them. And, and one of the daughters, um, was 12 at the time had just taken the YMCA babysitting course. And so she came and was like a mother's helper for my kids mm -hmm. for $5 an hour. Well, yeah. cause I was there on the property, like at that time I was painting and I was like, Oh my God. And it was just this lifesaver. But even like when my husband, uh, got a raise, right? One of the things we looked at, like a 3% yearly kind of raise, and he has the serve study job. One of the things we looked at was, well, it was interesting because he came out from this sort of like research angle of like, what will actually give us the most happiness? And he said, <laughs> yeah. You know, very kind of cerebral person. And he looked at in the research and said, really, like childcare, us going out on more dates, that will bring us the most happiness. So we took like the vast majority of this 3% raise and instead of putting it towards, you know, retirement, which maybe might have been, who knows, maybe we'll regret this decision 20 years <laughs> from now, but um, we put it towards childcare that year and we, you know, were a lot happier. It really, I think it really, it's, it, but it kind of almost goes back to what you were saying about your frustration with self-care, right? Like the problem is, is like one of the big problems is that the systems are set up so that everything's so 
individual, even, uh, you know, even, even like, uh, all the solutions are also individual. Like, even if you look at like an earth day, when they're talking about how can you help the environment, like here are things that you can do, but that's nothing compared to what we could do if we did something legislatively at a state level or a federal level. Right. And so even like, like when you talk, like kind of when I was going back to what you said about your frustration, your problems with the idea of self-care, which is funny because that's something that I teach. And by necessity, necessity, I teach it to individuals because this is the situation we have. Yet I recognize that it's a messed up system we're in, that we're all by ourselves in these tiny little satellites. Like it's kind of like a weird, I almost think of it as a weird form of like, Uh, torture to just have a single person adult alone with you know and a child who's 18 months old three years old or whatever for 24 hours a day like that's like it it, it's certainly not much (laughs) yes yes so yeah so tell us more about some of the some of the unequality and sort of the lack of support And, and do you see any ways um that we could what? I mean, I don't know. Do you have yeah. any ideas about what we could do about this? Oh, gosh. Um, well, <laughs> can we turn this patriarchy into something else? You know, I could talk forever about, uh, gosh, I don't mean to sound like a man hater because I'm not. And I've got an amazing husband and I'm raising an awesome son. And so it's not it's not necessarily a gendered thing, but but yet it is. And this is what I find so interesting is you can have the most thoughtful, woke, progressive man, and he still benefits from a privilege that we do not. And then, and then, so as women do not, and then you take it down another rung, which is mother, which then even just makes you a little bit more devalued. I mean, I don't know how much more clear right now our politics and our nation needs to show us how much they're devaluing women. So that's number one for me is if we have men running the show, they don't get it. They don't know how the reproductive system works. That's a problem. That's just one of the many problems. So these are the people who are making the laws and who are setting the stage and who have been setting the stage for hundreds of years about how we're treated. So like, I don't know what we do about that. <laughs> so I think you're, I think you're right about you have to work at your own level And also, I understand your frustration about, well, like, how do we get to the bigger level? And I think the more that women become invested in politics, and it's like, it's, it makes me crazy because, so wait, you're talking about women who are already devalued, who are already overwhelmed, who are already doing more work in the household, and now they're going to have to get involved in politics. And also, oh yeah, by the way, join the PTA because the school systems are breaking. And there's not enough funding. Like the amount, the workload that is put on women is is insane. And then so I even feel worse saying, well, then women need to get more involved. But I recently did a podcast with our local city councilwoman, the first woman that we've had. And she was tell she was telling me the real ins and outs of it and how how different it is to have her energy in there. It's kind of like a, a, a boys club. And she said in the first couple meetings, she kind of sat there and, you know, just went along with whatever. And at some point she was like, wait a minute, I'm going to act in here how I would act if I was a man. I'm going to have an opinion on this stuff and I'm going to argue with people about things I don't agree with. And so she kind of blew my mind because she said something about how she's trying to get it a law change so that there's childcare for the city council members. And a light bulb went off, which was like, oh my gosh, this is why women 
cannot be involved in politics as much as they'd like to be, who you have, you would have to pay for childcare. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas men don't have to do that because their wives are the childcare, we do not have a safety net childcare. So mm-hmm. that I, I just thought, wow, that's one of these progressive things. If there was actual childcare at city council meetings or any other political meetings, maybe women would be able to show up because they'd have somewhere to bring their children and be involved. Because the more that we are in the conversation, the more that the laws are going to start eking towards serving us as much as it's serving men. Yeah. So that, that's, that's one part of it. I mean, dad privilege is something that, <laughs> that I, I talk about. And, and somebody just the other day texted me and said something funny. She goes, ever since you said the word dad privilege on your podcast, I've been talking about it. I've been saying it to my friends and nobody's ever had to have me explain what it means. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that makes sense because we all know what it is. And, and if you're, you know, if you're not sure what dad privilege is, you're probably a dad is what I, is what I want to say about that. Because there are these certain privileges built into being a male um, in, in the parenting equation. And those are things like when you go on a trip, how many people are you packing for? One? Okay. So we moms know when we go on a trip, we never pack for one. So there's just little things like that. It's, it's part of the unseen work, you know, fridge maintenance, that kind of thing. So there's a, a lot of times a dad privilege. I, um, I don't know anybody. I mean, not that I've maybe talked to other people's husbands about it, but um, I can't think of any dads that I would know that would be doing, doing that job, except for ones that are maybe germaphobes. Anyway, I, there's, definitely, there's definitely a divide in, um, in the gender inequality in parenting. And I think you're right about bringing it. We have to do on our individual level what we have to do to change things. And if we can't change the bigger picture, well, we might as well start at home. So the other day I was talking to a friend about how we get the jobs we get. So like fridge maintenance, for example, uh, cooking food. I'm in my house for some reason. I don't know why. And I just have realized that in the last year, I guess I'm the default I give my daughter a bath parent. I was like, wow, I'm the only one that's thinking about that. That's interesting. Um, But like how we get these jobs, if you don't like the way that the jobs are set up in your house, burn that down, burn it down, (laughs) start it all over. Yeah. And I, and I, and I censored myself right there. I want everybody to know (laughs) is, is, you know, write out a list of all the jobs. And then even just the writing of the list is like an exercise in, Hey, look at all the things that are being done in the home. And I even, I can even visualize it being on little pieces of paper and you cut them up and you put them out on the table and you go, we did this. We did this in my family. Yeah. So we made a, uh, we divide a a piece of poster board into quadrants for for Bill and me and my two daughters. And then we wrote down all the jobs that Bill and I do and we cut them out and we put them, physically put them in the each quadrant so they could see all the different jobs that we do. And then we oh. said, we, we need you to take some of these jobs. What would you like to take? And so they yes. could physically take the little piece of paper and put it into their quadrant. And it was uh, a great way to do it. But you're right. Like physically writing these down, it opens your eyes and it can sometimes take yes. a couple of days or a week to even notice all the different jobs that we do, right? Because we just look them over ourselves. 
Exactly. And the thing that got me thinking about this was I just did an interview recently for a podcast with um, a woman who's a lesbian. So she's in a relationship with a woman, a parenting relationship. And what I talked to her about, which I was, I was so interested to ask her is what does, what does the, um, what do the labor roles look like in your relationship? Because both of you have the, we're both mom. So, well, what does that mean? Like, so I'm mom and you're mom. So like, what do we do? Which is different than mom and dad, because those have these connotations to it. And so does mom. But when you're both mom, you're like, well, we're both mom. So what do we do about that? So I think it's an interesting conversation to have around if your gender didn't dictate what job you did, which job would you choose? Were they, were they more egalitarian? Yes, they were definitely more egalitarian uh, about it. Um, And there were some things that kind of surprised me that weren't as much, but there were definitely things that were. And so that's what sparked me sort of thinking it was more of a masculine feminine thing rather than a male female thing. But so that's what got us talking about, hey, if you don't like the jobs that you have at your house, burn it down, start over and sit down with your partner and say, hey, Let's talk about why why you want to do this one, why I want to do that one, and let's pick. So I just thought that that was a way that you can bring it. If you can't, if you can't, if you can't become a part of the political climate, which so many moms can't for a lot of reasons, then you can at least change the economy in your house. Yeah, yeah, we have a choice. I mean, just because it is a certain way now, maybe, and and we can often look back to sometimes, you know, we were part of that, like where we didn't let dad, you know, do things because he might not do it the way we would do it when when the kids are younger, babies or things like that. But we can't, it's not, you know, nothing set in stone. Like you can start to make these changes and start to say, you know, hey, I have needs that I want to meet and I don't want to do all of the things and, and we can start to do that. It's funny in my family, we have a really very egalitarian household and, but actually I'm like kind of, um, and, and, you know, my kids used to call us mommy, daddy or daddy, mommy, you know, cause we were, we were just interchangeable, which I thought was great. Um, yeah. and, um, but you know, my husband, he's, you know, I'm kind of fine with him, like doing some jobs that I don't see, like clearing yeah. the gutters and like cleaning off the roof and doing these things. And he's like, you know, Miss Feminist person, <laughs> you could do some of these jobs. And I'm like, oh, I guess I could. I don't know. <laughs> it's right. Right. You have to practice what you preach. And sometimes that is the hard thing. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. 
So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Brandy, tell us why baby sleep books can suck it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You're referring to an article I wrote for the Huffington post. Um, uh, why baby sleep books can suck it. Well, <laughs> the nutshell of that is they prey on the vulnerable sleep exhausted mother who just wants her baby to sleep. And the joke about baby sleep books is it's like, I mean, I know that they're not trying to do this on purpose, but it sure feels like they try to with scientific speak and all these fancy ways of getting you to understand how baby sleep cycles are and things. It's basically all a facade to say like, if you want your baby to sleep, they're going to cry their eyes out. And we're going to call it a bunch of other things. We're going to call it like the baby whisperer. I think she's the one that has this cute thing called like the sleep shuffle. And the sleep <laughs> shuffle is a situation in which you, I think, because they're, they're all like a little similar, so I can't remember. And I was so bleary eyed when I read these books. But it's something where basically like you put your baby in the crib and then it cries clearly. And then you shuffle away like five steps and tell it, like whatever you tell it, like, it's okay, it's time to sleep. And then you shuffle in two minutes, then you shuffle five more steps till you're like shuffled near the door. And then you shuffle out of the door. I mean, it's, it's a joke. I think it's all a joke. I'm sure there's pe I'm sure there are people who have found success with these things. So I, I would imagine those people exist. But to me, those books are ways to make you feel like you're not going to wreck your kids if you make them scream their eyes out to go to bed. And I personally, with sleep training, it is such a controversial topic. And I think everybody has to do what they have to do. If you're somebody who, who is looking at sleep training, you must be desperate enough that you need that. So I've got no judgment on that. It's not something I felt comfortable doing because, I mean... Hearing your baby scream at the top of their lungs is just an awful process. But also, I can't say that I wouldn't be desperate enough to need to do that. I've done little little versions of stuff like that. But man, at the end of the day, <laughs> these books should just read, sorry. <laughs> you know, you can't, <laughs> I'm you, sorry. I'm sorry. You can't force a person to sleep. 
a baby to sleep that doesn't want to sleep. Like you just can't. And by the way, if you're nursing, it's like good luck because their metabolisms, they process breast milk in a different way, uh, faster than they do formula. So like, there's no way these books are working for you, but they don't. Instead, they make you feel like you can control something that is totally, in my experience, has been uncontrollable. Like I said, there's probably somebody listening who's like, that lady's wrong. I did the steps and I did the shuffle and my baby learned. And that could, could exist. But I, I, yeah. but I have a pretty strong take on, I think those books are preying on the vulnerable. So <laughs> <laughs> that's my take. I think I remember like that was, I was being super psyched that when they could finally eat like eat more kind of solid foods and like wanting to give them like spoonfuls of like creamy peanut butter right before they went to bed at night. So they had this like big thing in their stomach that took a while to digest. So they would sort of leave, leave me alone at night because I'm a horrible, mean, nasty person when I don't get enough sleep. <laughs> I know that's how I am. But you know what you, re- you realize too, cause I was waiting for that day when they had solids. It's like, they're finally going to sleep. And then you realize, oh, now, now they're digesting new foods. This is the thing that's going to keep us up. So you never, like I, we never got to the place where the meal was full enough that it kept them. There was always something that was messing up their sleep. And I hear from, I hear from other parents who had better sleepers. So maybe it was just that my kids were not, were not decent sleepers. Um, but there's, it seems like there's always something. And then there's the teething. And then oh, when you're, when you're teething, you know, then I'll, and, and by the way, people teething last, there's what, four-year molars. I think I just learned recently that there's eight-year molars. So teething just never stops, but then teething goes into illness. Cause when you're teething, you're more susceptible to get a cold. So then you have a cold, babies have colds, and then they're back in teething again. And then they have a developmental growth. So you like, when are we not, when are we not in some, in this cycle? I don't know. That was having a teething baby was my birth control for about five years. Just knowing like, I can't do this again until teething simmers down. So that's why my kids have such a big age gap is teething is the answer. <laughs> I remember like in my daughter's crib, um, you know, we, my, my daughters slept with us in the beginning, but we were like, oh my God, this is crazy that she's sleeping with us. So we like tucked our sheets in way in the bottom of the bed. So they'd only come up to our waist. So we'd have this, yes. like, you know, and then we would like in, in our sleep, be trying to in vain to just pull up this sheet, like all night long, basically. It was so funny. But then when she was in her crib, I remember, um, first we were going to like not use the binky. We're like, oh, oh. we're not going to do that. And then like, I think it took us maybe th- she was three weeks old and we're like, this is a brilliant, amazing thing that she can suck on this thing rather than me. Like, this is so amazing. But then you get to the point where there's like five binkies in the dark somewhere <laughs> below the crib. And we're just like throwing like mass quantities of binkies in the crib so that she'll just find one if she <laughs> out. It's like, oh my God. Uh, there's always a cost, you know, it's either you're the human pacifier or you have to supply the pacifiers. I specifically with my son, you know, being an attachment parent, I didn't want any sort of pacifier because what if that got, what if that interrupted our breastfeeding relationship? And so I had bought into this thing that I wasn't going to use a pacifier. And I can't tell you how many times when he was a newborn and an infant, I would have loved to not be the human pacifier. And my husband was on board with the attachment parenting too. So I remember one time in desperation coming to him and saying, I think I'm going to try a pacifier. 
And he was like, oh, but I thought we weren't doing that. And I didn't have a resolve yet. I didn't know yet because I was still so new that I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And then later that came up as part of the resentment talk, which is like, remember, remember that moment when I was clearly like, like waving the white flag in front of you, (laughs) you know, and, and poor guy, he didn't know either. He was trying to stick with what we had talked about doing. But with my second, we were like trying to, trying to do the pacifier because we knew that it could lead to somebody feeling like a shell of a person after a couple of years of being the human pacifier and she wouldn't take it. So there's irony abound in, in parenthood for sure. Uh, but I, it is interesting to see what changes between the first kid and the second kid. There were still things that I did exactly the same, but then there were things that I changed up. And then there were things I thought I would change up. Like even the reason why I read these baby sleep books, I wouldn't, I never touched any of those with my son because he was going to sleep in my bed and he was going, you know, all the, all the attachment parenting stuff. And then with my daughter, I'm like, Haha, I will be doing this part differently. So I read all these books and yet it, it, it still didn't, it still didn't help it. And granted, I wasn't fully committed to the full, like we're going to do three nights of just you know, crying, I just crying to the point of vomiting. Like I wasn't, I I had my limits. So there were certain things that I still had boundaries on, but I was able to push them a little bit to see if they could give me some more autonomy and, um, independence and space and all of those things. And some of them worked and some of them didn't, which was kind of a hard realization to realize with the second you think, Oh, well, all the things that didn't work with the first, I'll just do differently. And then with the second and the ones that, you know, you realize, oh, wait a minute, some of these things you just can't control. So. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the child. And, and also it, it can, I think it can be dangerous to, in some ways, like, I don't know. I mean, I also was like reading some of the attachment parenting books, but I have a, I have a real bone to pick with them about how heavily they are on heavily they are on oh it has to be mom that is yes figure it like really makes me angry because the truth is like you the baby can be attached to any like you know a number of loving committed figure caregivers in their life they can be committed to many of them. And, and it really make it really frustrates me that this idea that it has to be mom. I mean, because it, I mean, even back in the day, right. When we, you know, before industrialization, if we were a family kind of living and working on a farm or whatever, like the father would probably be a lot, be a lot more involved in parenting anyway. I, I don't know. The whole and, thing and just makes grandmas. me so angry. Yeah. And the aunties yes. and all that stuff. Exactly. I I had a moment of realization. I had the baby book by Dr. Sears. And so I I was reading that and there was a moment of realization when I was starting to get sort of like this attachment parenting thing sure feels like a trap. And I realized a man, a dad is writing this. I, I mean, I just, I was like, almost like threw the book across the room was like, well, of course you think the baby should, you know, feed on demand. And I know, and I know actually, you know, from the birth work that I've done, I was a doula and a childbirth educator for 10 years. Like I know, I know these things and I know how they, how they change outcomes and breastfeeding outcomes and all of that. But there was no mention in that book about if you're feeling touched out and this might be overwhelming. I mean, this is again, part of the bigger issue, which is if you have a patriarchy making the laws, they are not in touch with what's actually happening from breast to baby or bottle to baby. Mm-hmm. And so then, then to be reading this book that's written by this man who's a doctor. So we all, you know, we all trust that he knows what's right, but he's not the one whose nipple is in a baby's mouth every night, all night long. So there was some point where I was like, yeah, I ain't listening to this anymore. Mm-hmm. Good. 
Good for you for, yeah. <laughs> for taking your, your autonomy back. So I'm yes. curious, Brandy, about, you know, if, what would, if, if you could, if we could kind of like wave a magic wand and, mm-hmm. and fix things in some way, what would the sort of ideal world be that you would want to create for, mm-hmm. for moms? I see what you're doing. You're getting me into the solution mindset and away from problem <laughs> mindset, which is always honestly such a helpful tool. Um, you know, childcare, accessible childcare would be almost number one at my list. Um, it's amazing. I have a friend who lives in the Netherlands cause she happened to marry a, a guy um, or not. They didn't get married anyway. Um, and and at one point I asked her if she was coming back to the States and she was like, hell no, She's, they have free childcare. They, these crushes they're called that you can take your baby and free childcare from like a very early age, maybe six months. And you can take your baby for however long you need or whatever, but it's free yeah. subsidized childcare. That's high quality childcare for everyone. Yes. Oh my God. Oh my gosh! What could be possible? How I mean, I their post their postpartum depression rates have to be just insanely lower. I mean, they have a lot of things going on that they're doing that's more human centered. I have mm-hmm. a friend who's moving there right now, and she was looking at uh, at at schools for her kids, and she was like, "Oh my gosh, this is so crazy!" When we went to the school, they you know they have a certain age range they take, and I guess they were like, "Well, we'll take your child, even though he's out of range, because his sister's going here, and I bet he'd want to be with his sister." And and then and then when these kids from this school, it's like a transition school for American kids, and then they move to the Dutch school, and the people at the at the transition school were like, and you know, we they move on to the next they move on to the next school when they feel when we think that they're ready or they seem ready. There's no set time, so there's all sorts of really lovely human centered things that happen in other countries that do not happen here. Um, we are just our society and capitalism and patriarchy and all these things. I want to wave my my shake my fist at. Um, are in existence. But in this, in this sort of miracle place, there would be childcare for all. And so that wouldn't be something that we had to handle ourselves or financially be able to have. There would also be the postpartum care would be better. It wouldn't be going to your OB and filling out a questionnaire that says, I have had thoughts about harming myself or my baby. It wouldn't, that wouldn't be the check. Uh, it would be something more more soft and human and maybe in the home and maybe not from somebody who provides medical care maybe mm-hmm. um, and the I mean the birth process would be would be different in my idealized way I still think women should have all the options they should have medicalized options they should have natural options uh, but within that it wouldn't be in a system that's a money-making system like mm-hmm. you know so I, I don't even know in a world how these things exist if they're even possible I mean obviously the Netherlands and other places are, are able to make some of these things happen but at the end of the day it really comes from a culture that values women mm-hmm. and finds us valuable for things other than their sexual pleasures and understands our bodies and our reproductive system and gives us choices and body autonomy this in my mind is really about autonomy as a, as a through line. That's one of the things I never knew what that word meant until I became a struggling mother. 
and had to figure out what's a word for the thing that I feel like I don't have anymore. Oh, I'm it's autonomy. But also then there's this thread of, of body autonomy uh, with some of the laws that are happening. So if we are not able to make choices for ourselves, you know, then how, how are we free in a way? So I know that maybe that's a, that's a, a broader thing, but I think it definitely trickles down to the individual level. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I know. And then when I think about that, like what could be, you know, I think about that in a, for a couple of things, like when I think about the idea of universal healthcare, or I think about the mm. idea of universal high quality childcare, and I even imagine it from a capitalist sense, like if we had those things, the um, the amount of um, small businesses that would pop up or, you know, all kinds of, you know, things that would be unleashed and opened and possibilities that would be opened because people don't feel an anxiety about making it from day to day right or exactly. or or deal, getting the childcare and and all of those things that we struggle with at the individual level the amount of you know human capital and energy that would be unleashed into our society is like enormous it's just exactly. right now it's all being kind of hoarded in the hands of a, a few it seems yeah and even something Mm-hmm. And even something as simple as, you know, our school systems, um, we go to a public school system and we have a really great district and a great school. And yet the way that our schools aren't funded, that the funding has been changed or pulled or whatever, I, I, I just, it's crazy to me how we have teachers who are already an overworked population who are mostly women. So you've got these overworked, underpaid teachers who are trying to carry the weight of a broken system for our children because they're nurturing, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have the moms who aren't working, who are showing up at these schools to then take some of that weight off the teacher's back. So then you have tired women helping tired women because men in power can't see that happening and don't care. Like that to me just makes my head want to explode. So even something like properly funding our school systems so that moms, especially moms who have like two or three kids don't have to also come and spend their time volunteering in the classroom to teach reading because we can't afford to have a teacher's aide do that or something of that nature. So this is something at my school that I see happening all of the time. And I, I'm torn between wanting to help because I'm a helper by nature. So I come in and I do little things, but I can't, I, I also don't want to get heavily involved in the PTA for a variety of reasons. But one of them being, I, I, I don't want to give in to the system that is then going to overwork me. Like that doesn't serve mm-hmm. my family to do that. And so I, even just being put in some of those positions to fix the things that are broken, that the women seem to be standing up. And these days we're like all finding our voice and our power. And it seems like we're, we're going to step up to some things. That's awesome. And then on the other hand, I'm like, darn it. And it shouldn't have to be the women that do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's the self-care thing. It's that self-care thing, which is how about instead of telling us to self-care, and I'm not talking about you and other people who have some actual legitimate self-care tips because that's, we have to self-care because our system is not caring for us. But the bigger picture is how about instead of telling us to self-care, how about we just receive care? Like, like I, that's the thing that kills me is like, oh, well, like, have you ever heard of saying to your husband, like, do men get told that they need to self-care? No, because they are already cared for. 
There was some, there was something in the New York Times, some t- statistics about men have some, uh, something like 300 and something more hours of leisure per year than <laughs> women do. Yeah. Yeah. That's not surprising. <laughs> and then it's even worse in Japan, all of these issues. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I think, you know, I think just part of this is having these conversations and saying, yes. and saying, and saying, hello, there's not something wrong, you know, with you, dear listener. There's something wrong. There's problems in the system. There's problems with the way things are set up. And, you know, maybe instead of, you know, turning turning on yourself, keep that energy for yourself and, and get a little angry at the the system and and share your voice on that a little bit so that so that we can start to think about what what are ways to fix this and rather than saying there's something wrong with me say there's something wrong here exactly and if we don't get angry about it then we can't make the changes if we keep saying no i should this is i should just deal with this and i don't want to seem like i'm nagging and all of these things then then you won't be in a better position so this anger even though sometimes people are scared of it then the, then when you have the anger, you go, well, what, what can I do about this? And so like we talked about, either at a bigger level you get involved or at a smaller level you burn it down and you start over and you say the thing that you need. And so, you know, the, you're exactly right. Having these conversations help do that. And my whole goal, if I can let any mom off the hook by being honest, transparent, vulnerable about my experiences or any of the things that I've had years to overthink and articulate, if I can let anybody off the hook or have them make a different choice in their life, whether it's big or small, that makes them feel less broken or less alone, I will tell anybody anything about myself in order to help do that because it is such an isolating experience that if we can have these conversations, then at least we know that we're not alone. And that's a really... That's hugely helpful in healing. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Brandy, I'm, um, I want to thank you for not only coming on the podcast, but also for what you're doing for being a voice of honesty and a voice of outrage. And I'm glad <laughs> you're, you're outrage and, um, and a voice of, you know, WTF, like what's happening here. I I really appreciate that. I'm glad you can be that voice. So, Aww, uh, thank you. Thank thank you so much for for coming on and um and you can find Brandy's podcast Adult Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts as well. Yeah. Yep, and you can find me we have a I have a Facebook page uh adult conversation. And we talk about all sorts of funny, sometimes inappropriate, uh, you know, real, real stuff. So you can, you can find me there as well. And I have a book coming out next May that may make you laugh, may make you cry, may make you feel validated also called adult conversation. So yeah, that's basically, as you can tell, adult conversation is a, is an important theme in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We all need some adult conversation for sure. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate, you know, you asking me to be on here and I'm honored to be a guest. So thank you, Hunter. Thank you so much for listening. So glad you're here and you're here all the way to the end. Rock on for you. Good job. (laughs) So 
Brandy's amazing, right? And I really think what she has to say about us as a society not supporting moms is so, this is a conversation we so need to have, right? Are you in agreement? Oh my goodness. So, okay, cool. Well, listen, before you go, please go ahead and support Raising Good Humans by buying your copy, getting the awesome book launch bonuses, including the nine powerful expert interviews at RaisingGoodHumansBook.com and enter, do your Amazon review and enter to win a free spot in my spring retreat. So cool. And an incredible way to support this podcast if you're a listener. So great. And if you're interested in joining me, getting one of those spots that are left in my one-on-one or group coaching programs, go ahead and learn more at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching or just go to mindfulmamamentor.com and you'll go ahead and find the coaching tab. You'll find the book tab, learn all about these great stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this podcast has filled you up, given you something to think about, something to talk about in your family, in your friend circle. Yes, let's continue this conversation. Let's get it going, right? We need to. Okay, wishing you an amazing week, my friend. I'll be back in your ears next week. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.